Our scripture today is Romans, the 12th chapter. Turn with me, please. Romans 12, 1 through 8. You know, when both our eyes and ears are attuned, we get more of it into our hearts. So, Romans 12, 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Father, may the words of my lips... And the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. For 11 chapters in the book of Romans, Paul has been telling us about the gospel of God. He has depicted what God has done for every single believer. He has told us what God has given. And now following this great hinge, therefore, he starts to recount what we can give in response. He opens with a great word. I was stunned when I discovered it. It uh, is translation, I urge you, I beseech you, I plead you, I beg you. But the word is parakaleo. One of those auto-motto-poetic words that sounds like what it means. Para alongside and kaleo, to call out. So in its noun verb, it is one of the, uh, noun sense, it's one of the words which is used as a name for the Holy Spirit. So it's a word of particular tenderness and toughness. Not just I urge, beseech you, but I come alongside you with strength. And with power to call you to this, I parakaleo you this. That in view of God's great mercies, here is a summary of the 11 chapters that we have been through. God's great mercies are the catalog of things he has done on our behalf that we do not deserve. Mercies are everything that God does and gives to his believers and Let your mind, if you have been with us, just wash back over where we have been in these months in the book of Romans. 
It is grace and love and election and calling and comfort and encouragement and justification and sanctification and the gift of the Holy Spirit and strength and wisdom and kindness. The intercession of Christ on our behalf, resurrection, his sonship and our adoption into it and the list goes on and on. I parakaleo you in light of these great mercies that we have drenched ourselves and marinated ourselves in in view of these. Therefore, Paul turns to present your bodies as living sacrifices. If you believe what I've said, if it has made a difference to you, now your job is to be a living sacrifice. It's a paradoxical phrase. The word sacrifice carries the overtones of killing in it. Be a living killing. And there is that in the human life that has to die if we're going to be Christ's disciples. We abandon ourselves. We let go of ourselves. We trust you. Despite the fact that I have an agenda for my life, I have an outline I could give you, I have a pattern that I want, I release all that I am and all that I have to you. I am a living offering, a living sacrifice. And it is our bodies that we give. In the Hebrew scriptures, the human self is a psychosomatic whole. I love to say that word. We can think through our bodies, we act through our bodies, we move through our bodies, we touch the world through our bodies, we present in presenting our bodies as living killings, living offerings, living sacrifices, it says, we are presenting our whole selves, all that we are, all that we have, all that we are about. When I first came to California in 1986, uh, I tried, I did make connections with InterVarsity Fellowship over at Berkeley, one of the the organizations I've been an alumni of. and One of the first weekends I was here, they were sponsoring a weekend workshop on Christianity and the professions. And I met an amazing man, really one of the great uh, Christian leaders of the late and early 20th century, Philip Johnson. He was a law professor over there, Harvard and Chicago Law School graduate and um, clerk to... Uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren, and his specialty was legal reasoning. He came to Christ as an adult, and actually it's an interesting story. His child was enlisted by friends in a vacation Bible school at First Presbyterian Church, Berkeley, and being a good father, Philip Johnson turned up for the Friday night graduating service and a really fine pastor at that time, still alive, and a fan Christian servant now, Earl Palmer, was a pastor. He got up front and he may not have even worked on his remarks. He just said something in graduation, and it struck Philip Johnson. He said, you know, there's a man of faith. I, I'm not a man of faith. And remember, his specialty is legal reasoning. He said, I don't know why I'm not a man of faith, but I'll find out, and I'll get the answer. And like, like everyone I know, maybe there are exceptions, but I don't know any who start on the trail of Discovering the truth of Christianity without an agenda against it, without an axe to grind, they are already in the Father's net. And as part of that, Philip Johnson was found by Christ and became a deep 
faithful servant of his. He was the faculty advisor for InterVarsity at Berkeley for years, and as part of that, he would assemble Christian faculty, those who uh, made a profession of Christ, and he would always he had a question. Well, you know, what is your Christianity doing that makes a difference in your profession? They would say things like uh, he told he would say, well, they would say things like pretty regularly. Well, I try to be nicer and kinder to my students, which is a good thing to do. As far as it goes, he didn't think it went ever very far. He said, here are the leaders of their professions in the, in the world, at least academically. And if Christ is Lord of all, it ought to make a difference for, for them as it did for him. He was on sabbatical one uh, year in Oxford, and he picked up a book by one of the new atheists, and his wife was with him. And he said, you know, I think I see the, the fallacy and the reasoning here. Again, remember, especially is, is reasoning. And his wife said, well, it might be so, but if you try to take that book on, that's going to be the rest of your life. And he said to her, you know, I think you're right. And he said, I went home and started on my first book the next day, having to do that. And Philip Johnson became one of the great apologists of the Christian faith of the late 20th and, and early 21st century. I want every part of your life, present your bodies, that's your whole self, as living sacrifices that you might offer spiritual worship. John 4 says that what God is seeking is true worshipers, real worshipers. We are meeting in this moment to offer worship, offer praise. And it is rich in music and prayers and hearing God's word and responding to God's word and all of those are beautiful. But worship is not primarily having a feeling induced in us or even a mood that we put ourselves in, it is an activity. Robert Webber says worship is a verb. It is something that we do. We present ourselves as living sacrifices. It, worship takes root in people who are overwhelmed by the mercies of God. I parakaleo you in light of the great mercies of God. Eleven chapters we've rehearsed them. Present your bodies as your whole self as living sacrifices that you might be agents, actors. We, we do lift God up with our lips, but only secondarily or as a part of lifting him up with our lives and with our living. Be offers of spiritual worship. What a magnificent text this is. I'm going to hit the highlights of it. It moves on to say we should not be conformed to the world. But transformers of it, some sermons make of this. I really like this image. I don't haven't used it much, but we're not to be uh, thermometers. We're to be thermostats. We're not to register temperature. We're to make temperature, but we are not to be conformed. The word there literally means to masquerade. You're not to put on the mask of the world. If you are new beings, new creations, new agents, why do you care? Why do you soak yourselves? In what the world thinks, how the world dresses, what the world does. Why do you put on the mask of the world? Why do you masquerade that way? And of course, part of the answer is easy for us to know because we have not allowed ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which comes in large measure by marinating and soaking ourselves and 
drinking in garbage in, garbage out, and truth in, and wholesomeness in, wholesomeness out, because we have not drenched ourselves in the Word. Uh, I'm going to tell this anyway. It doesn't translate, but the funniest sketch. That's not even a close second. You have, to, you have to be careful when you use superlatives, but this is it. The funniest sketch I have ever seen is Bob Newhart's sketch. It's six minutes long. Do yourself a favor if you're all interested and go home and Google it on YouTube. Uh, where he plays, uh, I'll, I'll save the title of it. You won't laugh because it's the way it's done, but I'll save the title of it. He's a, a psychiatrist and a woman comes into his office and uh, says, uh, you know, you've been referred to me. I've heard very good things about you. This is fine. And uh, my sessions are uh, five minutes long. We probably won't, we won't need all that time. It's five dollars. I don't give change, pay in advance. And uh, she says, "All I have is ten dollars." Well, I, I don't give change. And uh, she sits down and she, "Well, what's your problem?" And she says, "Well, I have this fear. I, I'm just a phobia. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to be buried in a box. I can't go anywhere. I can't go. In, uh, it's hard for me to be in this room." It's, uh, and, and Newhart said, let me ask you a question. So has anybody ever tried to bury you in a box? No. He asked a few questions. Then he says, well, uh, uh, here's my advice to use two words. Uh, she says, should I write it down? She says, well, you can if it makes you more comfortable. Uh, most people can remember it. It's just two words. And he's very soft-spoken and understated. And then suddenly he leans forward and he says, uh, here are the two words. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. And it goes on from there. It's very funny. Just, just, you, you, you mean just stop? That's right. Stop it. And uh, she says, that's only three minutes. And so uh, that's only $3. And she said, well, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like this uh, counseling. Well, you have two minutes. So she, so she brings out some other things, and she, she just says, stop it, and stop it, and you just stop it. And she says, well, you know, I'm, I'm constantly washing my hands. And Newhart stops for a moment, and he says, well, that's all right. <laughs> I wash my hands a lot, too. You know, that's all right. You, you can keep on doing that. Anyway, look it up. But stop it. Don't be conformed to the world. And, of course, there is advice here more than just stop it. How do we do that? By being transformed, and we're transformed in large measure by the renewing, the restoring of our minds. And that comes in large measure from drenching ourselves in the Word of God in quiet times and reading and carrying thy word have I hid in my heart, David said. And then uh, you don't just come to receive that from a limited number of people where to be transformed inside and we're to be transformed outside. The text goes on with a marvelous counsel. Don't esteem others as greater than yourself, but have a sober estimation of yourself. That sober means realistic, accurate. Don't be puffed up. Don't think more of yourself than you ought to, but there are two sins. Don't think less of yourself either. The Christian gospel is a magnificent gift. It tells us who we are, sinners who are saved by grace, who 
may not be as bad as we can possibly be, but who are as bad off as we can possibly be, unable to help ourselves, unable to save ourselves, needing to be recipients of God's great and rich and merciful grace, but also beings who are lifted up by his love, who are esteemed as treasures and valued, who are covered by his grace. Don't esteem yourself as more than you ought to be, but also have a sober, realistic appreciation of yourself that you might be ministers of the gospel. I love those churches. I don't know why we haven't done it yet. That list on their bulletins and their material that the ministers of this church are all the members of this church. And then they go down in a smaller and less important cone of those who are serving the church and equipping the church and helping the church. But our goal as a body together is not just, not only, though this in part, not only to receive from the church fellowship, but also to be here to be ministers, to be equippers, to be givers. Paul has a long list here. I'm not going to pause over it. I could and I probably should, but they are rich. But I just want to make some comments about it. He mentions things like preaching and administration and counseling and encouragement. I'm paraphrasing some of these and not taking the time to go into each of the Greek words, but ministries of mercy and of caring for the poor and of leading, these are all ministry abilities. They are spiritual gifts. I have a love-hate, love-dislike relationship with some of the movements of spiritual gifts that it was more popular a couple decades ago, finding our spiritual gift. And there is a place for that. The text talks about it here. But I think our gifting is more like, more like watercolors. There's a blending and a mixture of them. And sometimes we are called to call out from us that which isn't as naturally comfortable to us. What does the church need? What blending of my watercolor of gifts, and each one of us is like a snowflake, like a fingerprint, particularly unique. What in my particular unique blend of giftedness can I serve the church in, can I serve others in? We are called to a great, high, and holy adventure together. To be laborers on task for the Lord Jesus Christ. Living sacrifices that we might be offers of true spiritual worship, transformed inside, not thinking too highly or lowly of ourselves than we ought, <coughs> and also transformers <coughs> transformed outside, not conformed, not wearing a mask, but transformed in our minds that we might be ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1980, in San Diego, vandals uh, hit a statue of the Church of Christ the King. It's a Catholic church in San Diego and broke off both of his hands. And uh, the vestry met and decided what they should do about this, how they should repair it. And they came to the decision they wouldn't repair the statues. You can see again online. The arms are outstretched and there are no hands and there's a big plaque which reads beneath it, I think the theology is wrong, but the point is still a good one. 
It says, uh, I have no hands but yours in the world. Now Christ is not helpless without us, and he, his spirit and his will and his way is strong to move and to act wherever he would so choose, but he regularly chooses to work through his body and his people and his ministers, his gifted church. It is his active agent in the world. He has chosen in many circumstances to say, I have no hands in this world, but yours, his church. It is a high and holy calling and adventure to be so little conformed and so greatly transformed that we can indeed be his realistic, loving, encouraging, and caring agents in his wounded world. Living in holy God, we are so struck by this amazing turn in this chapter. You have given so much. You have given all things. You have given everything. You have given yourself. We pray that we might so live, that we might be the people that you have called us to be, part of one another, and ministry agents, sharing and showing your gospel, your good news, your very self, to your wounded but also waiting world. For it is in Jesus' name we pray.